You're going to see the interview everyone is going to be talking about. Wagon wheel, what to see? What do I think of her? Yes. I don't think of her. Then we become divas as opposed to just strong women. Ah, oh, coughing during my interview, really? It feels uh, reductive. Hello and welcome to Big Diva Energy. Uh, my name is Holly Morgan and my husband Tom is also here. Oh sir, times is hard, times is hard. Times may be hard dear, but cheer up child, it'll turn out alright in the end, you'll see. As we have got an absolute icon of stage and screen to dish up to you today, a steaming hot pie, if you will, of diva flesh. And that analogy got really weird very quickly, didn't really it? Did. Yeah, never mind. Our subject is one of the unequivocal grand dames of musical theatre who came to early prominence with fated film appearances and went on to become an icon of television. She holds five Tony Awards, six Golden Globes and an honorary Oscar. She's been nominated 18 times for an Emmy and in 2014 got made a fucking dame. She's one hell of a dame. It's Angela Lansbury. And with us to discuss the work of the great Dame Ange, we have another absolute belter of a diva. Our guest is a multi-hyphenate sensation, performer, writer, beauty influencer, icon. She's a fabulous actress with a divine set of lungs and some of the best diva knowledge in the business. Her razor-sharp wit and MT know-how has been showcased to stellar effect in her superb original musical projects, Disney Rascal and the massive Ed Fringe smash Prom Queen. You will also have seen her lighting up the box this year in Friday Night Dinner and the BBC's Trigonometry. Her no-nonsense, no-BS website, The Trowel, is a beacon to those everywhere who like to layer it on thick without lining the pockets of Big Pharma. And her strength and resilience has made her an icon of female empowerment. 2019 saw her addressing the House of Commons on the incredibly important subject of coercive control. She is fucking everything. She's a total darling. She is Rebecca Humphreys! I don't know what to say! <laughs> I'm very uncomfortable in a very British way. <laughs> it's weird to do when people like list your achievements, isn't it? Like, it's sort of lovely because I can just feel myself filling up with all of this like lovely sparkly energy, but also there's this weird bit of you that doesn't want to like be proud of yourself or like let it out. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but must pretend that it's just nothing. Yeah. Don't be nice to me. I can't bear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's so kind of you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, thank you so much here. for coming on. And well, being here, unfortunately. I know, sadly, yeah. not not together in person on the Zoom. And we get to look at Bex But it's and- sort of it sort of feels like that now, doesn't it? Now it's yeah. it's even it's even become exciting to see a new person on screen. I know it's weird, <laughs> isn't it? It is like yeah. it's, it's 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 this portal that is also like your social life, your work, everything. It's got a vortex of the screen. <laughs> yeah, I actually weirdly the other day I saw I saw a friend. We went on a a, a, a very responsible, very, yes, don't socially worry. distanced <laughs> don't talk. Worry. And um, when I saw her in real life after speaking to her for you know three months on screen it was like seeing a celebrity yes. <laughs> did you get a bit overwhelmed <laughs> I got overwhelmed and I was doing myself I felt I felt as though I wasn't grounded in my own body I was like this is what it's like when you meet like someone yeah. famous <laughs> oh my god it's you it's you from the screen <laughs> it's you from the telly <laughs> yeah, your legs. the computer telly that I talk to so weird what's your real personality like it's <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. so weird thank you so much for being here with us it is so lovely and it's so lovely to have a chat with someone who who lives for divas as much as you do absolutely <laughs> it's like, oh my god oh my it was actually it's actively difficult to narrow it down wasn't it oh my god we literally we had I was so like, well options. there's this one this one this one this one yeah and, and i could have done all of them but yeah, something, me too. About, something about dame Ange, 
It's just and she's a wild card, isn't she? Yeah. And I kind of like that because she's sort of she's sort of there as a as an undercurrent for the last three hundred years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> she's just sort of been there, like just just coming out in pockets to go remember me yeah exactly and I, think- I love that there's something really non-ostentatious but also taking her moment when they arrive so true I think it's because you every time you turn the telly on like there'll be an episode of murder she wrote as That's well true. so it's like she's just yeah she's just always there we were trying to figure the out universe how to reminds it. you yeah you can't seem to stream it anywhere it's yeah. not on any platform so I was trying to find it so I had a look on our skybox it was on it just happened to be on. It was just on anyway. Yeah, you don't choose Angela. Angela chooses you. That's so true. That should be the mantra of the episode. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And that's it. Ange chooses <laughs> you. But before we get to Ange, we get to talk about all the other divas in our lives. And I'm going to ask you the iconic questions that we've developed. Are you ready? Okay, great. Yeah, I'm so ready. Oh my I'm God. so ready. I will always love you. Who is your ride or die diva? My ride or die diva is there's no question, it's Cher. Perfect oh, answer. Perfect answer. It's Cher. Yeah. Everything comes back to Cher. Yes, that's for me. true. Yeah. Um, I, and, and, and I have a lot of love for many others, but there's something about, about Cher that just seems to eclipse them all. I think it's like this love for gaudiness and showmanship. And she's, she's got a real, even though she's not a musical theatre actress per se, like there's, a, there's something that's incredibly musical theatre empty camp about her. Yes. Mm. In as much as she'll put on a show. I saw her at the O2 last year and it was oh. the best thing I've ever seen in my life. I couldn't believe it. Um, I couldn't believe it was happening. Same. <laughs> and I, cr- I cried so much. But also there's, some, there's something as well about, there was that moment where she did I Got You, Babe. Oh, my God. Do you remember? Yeah, with the and hologram. The screen, <laughs> with, with the screen of Sunny sort of singing it to him. And it's like, huh. And actually, I had been to New York earlier um, earlier on in the year and I had seen the Cher show. <gasps> you saw it? So I saw it. I saw the musical, yeah. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, where they had three shares narrating the life of Cher, you know, like fucking out. Cher to the power of Cher. Incredible. It was unbelievable. And, um and I guess because they investigated, interrogated like to such a massive extent her relationship with Sonny. Yeah. And then to see, and then suddenly to see her there in real life doing this song and like claiming the fact that despite how he treated her, she still honored him in that way. Yeah. I was like, wow, right in front of me there is what forgiveness means. Yes, it actually, was, yeah. It was, I, I was so moved by it. It was absolutely extraordinary. That's such an, a good point because like among, amongst the fact, you know, it was it was an incredibly camp thing to do. Like, I'm going to do... Singing with your I'm giant gonna... screen. Right? It, was, <laughs> yeah, it was so camp. So camp. And in the, same, in the same costume that they wore on top of the pot. Oh, like yes. As well. Absolutely iconic. But also like, you're right, actually really, uh, uh, I'm going to sing a duet with my abuser effectively yeah. like that that's what she but there's is some, there's something about forgiveness in it but there's also something that is unbelievably powerful yeah. about going and look what happened once I left you sorry yes yeah exactly but like yeah. there's something that goes this is where we came from remember him yeah, yeah look where we are now yeah like about it there's some there's uh, it's got an it's got an edge a little whisper of sassiness about it. Definitely. That is non-performative, but is most certainly there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I'm just like, huh. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's a layered thing. I must talk about the share show really briefly because, I mean, it, it would have been, you would have died. Please tell us everything. It was just, 
Cher had a real input into her own musical of her life, of course, because she's Cher. Yes. <laughs> and everything that's happened to her in her life is turned to gold. So why wouldn't you want an input? But um, there was just there was just some amazingly wonderful moments in it that were just so old school, slightly shit um, <laughs> musical theatre. Like the odd gobo, you know, that oh, went off. Yes, <laughs> please. Like you're just like, I haven't seen that since like Blood Brothers at the Norwich Theatre Royals in 1999. <laughs> but like, it was just so good. And then there was this really, really great moment where her second husband, where she was, they don't, they just courted each other to just like Jesse James. And like, <laughs> he was like, she walked into the dressing room and he's there like doing coke and he offers her something. And she's like, you know I don't do drugs. <laughs> like, how? Like, you just know that Cher was like, this needs to be in it. <laughs> like, I'm going to need you to in- say that. <laughs> yeah. And I need you to say it in these words. And they're like, Cher, we've got a writing team. No. <laughs> no, no. You know I don't do drugs. Take this down. Are you, are you making a note? I don't see you writing. Why are you not writing? <laughs> <laughs> it was so good, honestly. But yeah, Cher, is, is, it's always... It always comes back to share. We've got a bunch of merch from it because our friend Chris went. <laughs> yeah. went and, uh, did he go and see it in the end? They didn't go, no. They didn't go. No. But we oh, merch no, to obtain the merchandise. <laughs> but the of same course with, you would. Yeah, yeah, why not? We've got merch from uh, the Share Show and uh, Bruce Springsteen Live on Broadway, neither of which oh, we've seen. Oh, very good. <laughs> <laughs> I actually went in the, in the interval, my friend Owen Horsley, his director, and I, he went to go and see it together and had the best time ever. We went and got the one we got a glass of wine from the bar and they were like would you like this in an official share show cup <gasps> of like 15 dollars extra and we were like obviously yeah, <laughs> and they they gave it to us and i actually i brought it home it's one of those things that at the time you think it's a good idea and then you sort of see it in your cupboard and you just go this doesn't go with any of my things and it's just you know a bit crap but for a really 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 long time i still had sacred share wine in it oh i love it because <laughs> it had a lid it had a, a proper lid that you get like a keep cup yeah and i kept sacred share wine in it and i took it home from new york and like i would ever stop and take a picture and send it to owen and be like it's still there oh my god oh i'm my dying god. that's hilarious. like a sh- you can make a shrine out of that yeah did you chuck it away people have made shrines from less yeah they Absolutely. really have <laughs> i actually i actually think that in the end i was like now and i've sort of turned into this sort of you know slightly weird obsessive sweaty fan <laughs> like, oh my God. it's time for it to go and oh, reclaim myself i'm obsessed with that it's so oh, funny you have to wean yourself off share yeah Beth, do, you want to, do you want to write moonstruck the musical with me oh my god i actually do you know what i saw moonstruck for the first time very recently i, oh. I sat down and i was just like it's getting weird now. Yeah, I need to watch this. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I have to watch it. And I think that because I'm in my 30s and I watched it with a new perspective, I was just like, this is mental, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like this whole, this film, it hasn't got a nostalgia value to me so I can see it for what it is, which is, in, you know, categorically insane. <laughs> the Nicolas Cage character in it is one of the most bizarre characters I think that's ever existed on film. Is he like a one-armed Absolutely. baker? He's got like a wooden arm and he's a baker. <laughs> he's a, he's, but he's he's a one-armed baker. <laughs> he's a one-armed who's like incredibly muscular and like and loves opera insane when i'm baker that loves opera and like but it's just it's it's, it's extraordinary but then again you know we, we're all laughing but when he shoves that table over i was like i'm in yeah oh yeah, yeah fully. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> He's oh, yeah. In it. no one's denying it's not incredible yeah, yeah. oh god it's just yeah. mad yeah 
I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. You've oh, sold me. Let's check the musical. That's it. Copyright. Yeah. Copyright. 2020. Yeah, done. The answer is yes. I would love to write Amazing. it. Amazing. Right, you heard it here first, guys. Who run the world? Which diva would you be giving the nuclear codes to? <laughs> well, this is the one that I thought too much about because I was sort of like going through the notion of responsibility and like all of this Amazing. But I think that I, so in the end, I narrowed it down to two. Great. That's fine. You can have a panel. Is that all right? Yeah, 100. Absolutely. Yeah. I've gone for, this is, is this dead or alive as well? Oh yeah, anytime, anytime in place. Great. I've narrowed it down to Josephine Baker and Jane Fonda. Oh my God, what iconic choices. Talk me through. For a start, I think as a, as a collective, I feel like they would have a lot to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Great. But also, I think that, I guess that I was a bit like, I think they're both incredible examples of claiming what the world has given, what the universe has chosen to bestow you, mm. bestow you with. Yeah. Go, this, and this, an understanding of, well, this is what my platform is, in which case. Yeah. Using it, owning it, claiming it, whether it's like Jane Fonda's un- unbelievable beauty, obviously, and talent. Josephine yeah. Baker, also beautiful, but this showmanship and this incredible flair and, and the things that put you at the fore. Yeah. And then once you have that platform, you have your voice. And once you have your voice, what do you choose to do with it? Mm. Yes, that's so and true. In, in both instances, it's, I have, I have this, I have people see me, what do I want my legacy to be? I want it to incite change. Yes. And yeah. to and and to, I'm going to do it at the point at which people want to hear what I have to say. Yeah. It's just so smart, so shrewd, but it all stems from empowerment in the first place. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And I guess that I was like it's about giving the nuclear codes to people that understand their responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know their social responsibility. Yeah. So I and I and I also made me think as well about like just a, a, something that's been going on over the last week about Black Lives Matter and do you know that story about Ella Fitzgerald and Marilyn Monroe? <gasps> yes, with Marilyn, she she went to to so that she could perform. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So there was a club in West Hollywood that wouldn't let Ella Fitzgerald perform, and. There's stuff going around that's saying it's because she was black, but I, I looked into it and actually Eartha Kitt had performed there. I think it had a lot to do with like lots of combining um, oppressive factors to right. do with being black, being um, body shamed, oh, um, yeah. being a woman. Lots of things combined meant that they were like, that's, that's a no-go. Right. And Marilyn Monroe called up the club and said... Whenever you let Ella Fitzgerald perform, I, I, I vow that I will be sat in the front row and so will all the press. Oh, wow. Amazing. And it was, yeah, it was such an amazing feat of like allyship, but yeah. as a result of her respect for Ella Fitzgerald in the first place for yeah. like who she was. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought, so I thought, or well, maybe Marilyn Monroe's it, but then I was like, I don't know if I would trust Marilyn Monroe with nuclear codes because like, I don't know, I just feel like she might lose it and the reason that I feel that way is because so would I. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, fuck it. Yeah, go so I, so I, I recognise and acknowledge that as someone who is the same. Yeah. <laughs> There's no judgement here. Oh, I love that. Thank you. It's such a considered, mm. um, thank you for a reconsidered take on that question as well. <laughs> I, mean, I love sometimes it. Sometimes you go... Sometimes over the last week, I've gone, oh, God, what I have to say isn't actually that funny. But then I was like, oh, maybe it's more important. Yeah, <laughs> maybe yeah, that's yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> maybe. No, no absolutely. Like, iconic choices. 
if I could turn back time, if you could take one diva and send her back into any situation in history, where would it be? Tina oh Turner, Trafalgar, for instance. Oh, oh, do you know what? I wish I wish I'd considered Tina Turner more because obviously, of, of course, I'm obsessed with Tina Turner. I just am, all of them. But I've said that it's quite vague. Stay with me. I'm with you, babe. I said I would I would send Lizzo back to whenever it was they began doling out beauty standards. Oh my, oh my God. God. I want and I you know, yeah. I realise it's quite vague, but the fact of the matter is I thought about it and I was like, I think that beauty standards have been what has held me back during most of the major- the majority of my life. Right. And it's like prevented me from from uh asking for what I want or what I need yeah. or what I desire and all of these things. Yeah. And then I was like, if there had been someone at that time going, Oh, that's not what it is. That's yes. not what beauty actually is. Yeah. Then fuck knows where I'd be. I'd probably be ruling the world, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or Lizzo would be. Or like, you know, I I feel like there would be so many people like it, I'm speaking, you know, as from a female perspective, but obviously that's the only perspective I can speak from. But like I feel like there's so much in in that, yes. like tied up in that issue that has mm-hmm. prevented really, really smart people from reaching their capacity. Yes, that's yeah. so true. Absolutely. And yeah. this, I wouldn't give a shit either. No, like, she'd, she'd be like, like no. Yeah. no. The flute. <laughs> no, yeah. not having that. Yeah. Not having that. Yeah, exactly. Too skinny. <laughs> oh, that's such a good answer. Yeah, she, she'd be like, yeah, the first time any woman reached for a razor or like i don't know yeah we said i'm not gonna have that bit of woolly mammoth she'd be like i'm sorry if you're hungry have it eat the mammoth eat the mammoth yeah or some caveman handed like some cave woman some bit of material and went strap your tits up in this yeah exactly (laughs) know what i mean yeah you don't hear the sound of a flute on the uh, on the (laughs) air and then next thing you know lizzo's there (laughs) (laughs) going you can if you want. Yeah, if you want to, absolutely go ahead. If not, but you don't have to. Don't be afraid. Oh, so good. Material girl, what's on your rider? Do you know what? I actually, I have, um, I have, I have very little that I can think of that would be on my rider. I think you know. Respect, people that listen to me, bottle of Evian, thank you very much. <laughs> Amazing. Respect and Evian. Amazing. Oh. There you are. Yeah. That's your yeah. memoir that's sorted. That's <laughs> Respect and Evian. <laughs> Volume one. I guess that like, yeah, I think during this time as well, during this lockdown, I've realised that actually there's not really much that I, that I need, to be totally honest. No, mm. as long as like, we've got a Zoom, we're fine. Stay hydrated. Stay hydrated, yeah. Stay hydrated, good skin. You're laughing. Yeah. <laughs> Bit of respect, done. Done, bosh, happy. <laughs> now, have you ever been a diva? Yeah, of course I have. <laughs> And I guess I've been a diva in every, in every, uh, you know, every respect of the word. I think that, um, I mean, you can't be as obsessed with them as I am without like emulating them in some, in some form for better or worse. Yeah. And I think that like that, I mean, that, that might have to do with like as far back as aged four when I wasn't given Mary in the school nativity. Oh my God. Did you lose shit? And made my feelings very known, let's say. (laughs) on the issue 
I remember very specifically waiting until all the kids had gone from class and going up to my teacher and being like, I deserve this. (laughs) (laughs) I've put the work in. I deserve it. Like, and even that, even at that age, (laughs) I'm going to, I might as well. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give her full name. Um, Let's call her. Smelly Shawman. <laughs> um, I went up to my teacher and I was, and I remember feeling very, very, very strongly that like she didn't have any showmanship. Uh, she didn't have any stagecraft. Like I just knew full well that these were the prerequisites of playing the lead in a show. And you, you know what? That is, that is for me. So we were talking a lot about what does be, what is a diva? Trying to get to the bottom of yeah. what this term means. But that is. In a nutshell, it's like, it's just knowing your worth, knowing your skill set and occasionally having to point that out to people. Absolutely. And not being afraid of their judgment. And I guess as well that um, that was that was a sort of very early example when I was like, I think I'm a bit different. (laughs) But I think that as I've gotten older and as I've sort of, oh, I mean, we'll come to that, won't we, about what what it means to me or what what I think of it as, like as my opinion has changed, Mm about that so too has like my acceptance of it in myself and my and sort of pride in it and I guess I guess the biggest the the biggest diva moment that's ever happened to me in my life Mm -hmm. is when I split up from my longest relationship and I put a statement out on Twitter about how I was treated and how it's okay because I acknowledge it and it's not gonna happen again thanks very much it was it was an absolutely iconic thing to do to uh, to empower other people through your story and that is what divas can do isn't it they can they can share their pain and they can make you realize that they're actually human as well and raise people up through their own experiences totally and 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 sure enough as soon as I did that and as soon as I like laid my truth there mm-hmm. I've never in my life experienced so many people relating to it yeah like and and even including all the times in my life that I have attempted to be relatable you know yeah 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 Mm. it's like suddenly it goes oh boom that's how you get through to people by being authentic and yeah it was it was it was was really extraordinary and it emboldens people as well yeah absolutely I mean it it, with this I think that's why it it was it resonated so much because it was so authentic and so truthful and but also it's it was full of it you could you could just sense that you you were reclaiming caring enough about yourself to stand up for yourself yeah and also like the the main drive behind it at the time I remember being because like I was asked a lot about my take on things yes. to go on the front page of papers and I was yeah. literally like you know, the mail were parked outside my mum's house going through my aunt's bins. Jesus Christ. Like, it was mental. I was like, what's it you can find? I live in London. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but I guess that... Um, sending her I guess your rubbish. Because... <laughs> right? I guess that um, I was like, I know how they're going to portray me, yeah. whether I speak to them or not. Mm. And if I stay silent, having declined interview, yeah. then it's up to them to create a narrative for me and a persona for me and suddenly as a result of having gone through what I went through in the relationship and having come out again and and spoken and all of the people that wanted to be near me there was a bit of as well like taking taking in like taking the people around you and your friends and your family and looking at them and going well you're amazing so 
if you're amazing and you care about me, then I can't be that much of an asshole. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And when they're all, and when they're all there in front of you, you're like, oh, maybe I'm actually good. Like yeah. maybe I'm, I'm worth something. And maybe these funny, intelligent people, maybe that's because I am also that. And so like, there's a bit of me that was like, oh, cool. Well, if the papers are going to like create a narrative for me and a spurned woman, you know, character, yeah, it's up to me then. In which case, to go, well, I'm not that. And probably, actually, nor are all the other ones that you then created this for throughout history. Yes, <laughs> you know what yes, I mean? Exactly. There's something in that. I think there's something in going, oh, it stops here, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. That, that was obviously what they were reporting about you. But can I ask, I don't know, did you do any interviews with any papers or publications of any kind? No. You didn't do any one-on-ones? I was just wondering in terms of how they, because obviously... We, we were think we were talking before we started recording about the ability that we have to access other people's conversations through social media, and obviously you were able to to frame it using that, like mm. put your own story out, which is opposed yeah. to what they're putting out in the papers. But I was just thinking, like, I wonder if people that that, that accept interviews are still spun in a certain way because you've obviously still got the journalistic mm. voice, haven't you? I just wondered if there was anything. I guess the point was at the time that was that. Because, like, God knows, God knows, I was up with a lot of money yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> to do that at the time. And I just, as soon as the money, it, funnily enough, it was the money that that made me go, huh, that's a no from me. Because as soon as they bought me, they bought, they, they were entitled to yes. use yeah. my words in any way. They had, they had literally bought my words. And I know this from being and I, I'd learned that throughout my throughout my career I suppose as well I mean you know as an actor as well Holly that like you're you're part you're you're part of an advertising campaign yes. you're you're part of a brand yeah, yeah here's the most money more money than you've ever dreamed of but we own your time and we own your presentation and we dress you in our clothes and we give you things to say yeah and I guess that I had just sort of gone oh, I have experience of being given money and then not being happy with how I'm represented. So I guess now it's really important that I don't take it and represent mm. myself the way I want. Absolutely. Well done. You know? So, so wonderful and so empowering. And I, it, it just, I, I, honestly, I think, I think you, you, the way you use the platform in that way as well, you're representing yourself, but representing everyone else who's been where you had the worst thing that could possibly happen <laughs> shown in the worst way. I remember you, you, you wrote a beautiful article for, I think it was Elle about how you survived the worst, your, your worst case scenario. Yeah. And yeah. That's so empowering to go. Yes. Okay. So I, I sat there and I thought about what could be the worst thing that could happen to me. It happened. And now look what I've done. It's just, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Literally. I'm not kidding you. The person who you, you mentioned the trowel earlier. Yeah. The woman who I wrote the trowel with Claire. Yes. My best yeah. friends. We went to Copenhagen when Sean was about to do Strictly. He was about to start, and I was not—I was not myself by that point because mm. of the relationship. And then the Strictly thing happens, and she was like, "Right, we're going to sit down over a, you know, an open-faced sandwich, <laughs> and we're going to talk about what is the worst thing that could possibly happen." One sentence go, and I said, "The worst thing that could happen is he has an affair with his partner." It's all over the front page of the papers, and I'm humiliated, and all my friends and family know about this. And then. Ex- like exactly that happened beat <laughs> for beat. Like, beat for beat exactly this that happened but what I had never considered because I was so anxious about the circumstance itself what I had never considered was there's there's a possibility that it might empower me in some way yeah, by being sure. right yeah by being right about it yeah absolutely yeah it was mad it was 
you know, the, the further I get, the further away I get from it, the less, the less normal it seems. Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It must feel like it almost happened yesterday and 10 years ago, I guess, probably to you. Yeah, it does. This is why I always say to anyone, you must write a diary. You yeah. Must. Yeah. Because extra- because you when you're when you're in the middle of extraordinary things, you normalize it. Right. Yeah. And suddenly there is a document going, oh, it, this it's a it's a rainy Saturday in in the time of coronavirus in East London. I wonder what I was doing this time two years ago. And you look and you go, holy shit! <laughs> yeah. I, can't did, I can't believe I did that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, your life, your life reads. Everyone's life reads like a novel. I swear it. That's so interesting. Did you ever publish it? Your diary? No. No. It's a, it's just for you. I don't know. I mean, I think you know. I guess. I guess we're creatives, right? Yeah. And as such, I think there's probably a much more interesting way for me to explore what it all comes down to that isn't just like my life. <laughs> also, also, my diary is literally filled with stupid stuff like, oh, I, I had this donut and let me tell you about that. <laughs> Fever like, dreams about it was like, <laughs> Exactly. I had this, exactly. I had this weird dream that I was in a big tree and like, <laughs> like just stuff that no one's interested in ultimately. <laughs> I'm very like... interested in it. I think that's fascinating. But... You can flick back through it and find the day when you finally threw the share wine away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It'll probably be there. It was quite significant oh, in, in many ways. <laughs> Today is the day. That was a real day. It looks like reading it back. <laughs> <laughs> amazing it's so good and I, I, so then yeah my my next question is is connected to what does being a diva mean to you and um, yeah is there anything else you yeah yeah okay forgive me because I have I had to write this down right because I just didn't want to misrepresent it it's really important to me great <laughs> okay I put I think diva is an ownership of self I'm so glad to reclaim it because for such a long time, it's a word that's been used by the patriarchy to ridicule or oppress women or people who identify as women who know who the fuck they are and ask for things they want or need. Diva used to be shorthand for successful woman whose desires intimidate me. But I think now to be a diva is to say, fuck you. And in doing so, you take a risk. You risk people's opinion of you. And that is a very vulnerable thing, which means you can't be a diva without being vulnerable. But your freedom in identifying as a diva comes when you realise other people's judgment is their problem and not yours. Oh, oh my God. Oh. You know when people ask you, would you ever have a tattoo? And you go, well, I'm not sure what I'd have. I would have that. <laughs> cross your entire I'd back. have it across my entire body. If you cut, I want that written. Oh, On I'm, your I'm headstone. Tr- genuinely, like, would you cut me open like a stick of rock and I want that statement within me. <laughs> that is so articulate. It's exactly well, it. you know, it should be said that as well. I'm start, I'm starting to see diva as not such a gendered thing in the mm. same way that the world is waking up to mm. gender not being gender being a construct basically, yeah. and like there's masculine and feminine in us all, and diva is like the more masculine side of the feminine. But yeah. as such, I think anyone who identifies a diva, and it is indeed an energy. Yes, it Absolutely. is. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Well, it's the same way. I think we probably at some point, we do want to cover prints. We do want to mm-hmm. cover um, potentially, I was listening to a documentary on Radio 4 this morning about Little Richard, I think would be mm. a great. because oh, they, great. Yeah, like you said, they identify as men, so they wouldn't technically 
uh, be in that category of, of like what we have said in the past. But like, yeah, they've got there that like if the, if the diva is the more masculine side of femininity, then they are definitely m- masculine people with the yes. more feminine energy that or not afraid of their feminine energy, I guess. Would you yeah, say? Yeah, absolutely. Terms of Prince and yeah and it might I think that's it I mean I think you do like there is there is still there is still definitely men in my life who if I were to you know suggest the notion that they had feminine within them they would balk at the idea right you know but I think that there's a freedom in accepting that like it's constantly in a state of flux within everyone yes yeah you know yeah and then and as such like it's something that isn't gendered anymore or like it never was but now we're starting to go or we have the vocabulary to 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 understand Mm. why yeah it isn't that was so wonderful (laughs) i can't honestly i I, i'm 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 shook this this is this is what (laughs) this is why you are the perfect guest for this podcast because these it is so important to, mm-hmm. to take the time to honour skill, craft, passion. And that's what it is, isn't it? It's, it's reclaiming yeah. the right to give a shit about your own worth as an artist, yeah. as a human. I think crucially as because well, we... a lot of the time it's a sense of humour as well. It's, mm. it, it, the, I guess maybe it's not always a sense of humour because Madonna is a full diva and has no sense of humour whatsoever. <laughs> but it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, campness. Mm. Like unafraid to be silly and or to be ridiculous in some way yeah. along with those yeah. other things as well like yeah. share I think the my, perfect example yeah oh perfect perfect I think that and as well like when you see those old videos of Tina Turner and Cher on the Cher show like oh. dancing mm. together and you're like you've got a shared sensibility in exactly that this like not taking yourself seriously yeah I think maybe diva diva the, the proper diva energy exists in that very, very fine space before you tip into asshole. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Which Mariah I mean? Carey, I feel like, potentially yes. occupies slightly more than the diva. I think, well, actually, Joe, um, who I live with, yeah. one of his friends used to be her backing dancer. <gasps> and he was, And he was like, and when, and when I read that out to him earlier on, he was like, that does not, like, that does not apply to me. <laughs> she's just mean. Oh my God, she's just mean. Talk to me about this. Yeah, well, she's mean. He'd come on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> even like, even yeah. if it's not like, as a guest, just as an interview. Yeah. Just want to talk to... Just want to have a conversation. <laughs> just ask some no simple questions about Mariah. <laughs> I was about to say no names have to be named, but the likelihood is if he's if he's a person who did backing dancer for Mariah Carey, he's going to want to be named. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> he's going to be. He's going to be. He's going to be that bitch. You know? yeah. <laughs> oh my god, was he one of the ones that, that carried her around? Oh, god. <laughs> we, even, even if he wants to remain nameless, <laughs> <laughs> if he wants to remain nameless, we'll just do, use one of those voice synthesizers where it changes the pitch of his voice, and we'll just refer to it as that bitch. Yeah, we'll just be like interview <laughs> Mariah Carey with that bitch. Yes. <laughs> and then just have like well anyway when I was working with her <laughs> excellent she will know, come for you right? as well oh, she will come. find him <laughs> and she will kill him yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh obsessed thank you so much oh my god it's like an earthquake of oh just wonderful diva words yeah this subject are you kidding oh absolutely so thrilled bad. well we're gonna have a little little breaky and we come back we're gonna we're gonna get into Dame Angela Lansbury. (laughs) And we're back. So let's get into it. Angela Lansbury. Angela was born on the 16th of October 1925 in Regent's Park, London, to Belfast-born actress 
Moina McGill, a regular on the West End stage and the silver screen, and Edgar Lansbury, a politician and timber merchant. Uh, I don't really know how you specify Regent's Park and not just call it Camden. <laughs> But uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure there is a distinction. <laughs> I think Angela probably had a hand in that, don't you? I think she probably did. A bit of self-editing there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> her dad sadly died when she was nine, which she has described as being the defining moment of her life. She has said that it altered the shape of her life as she became less interested in schoolwork and became, in her words, something of a dreamer lost in my grief. Uh, this is something we're observing through a lot of divas, I think we're talking about, isn't it? That they've gone through trauma or grief. Yeah. And that coming out the other side of that is part of the diva process. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, like at nine, to say that was the defining moment of my life. I never got over that trauma. It's pretty amazing. It's quite an incredible thing, considering that the idea of carrying trauma is something that we're only really coming around to very recently. Yeah. That that's something that she observed and wanted to explore even before the world woke up to it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And just go, yeah, this is, I'm changed now. I'm a different person. Like, yeah. You're not a person at nine, but I mean, if you're something, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate enough not to have lost my parents. Um, but yeah, that would, something deeply tragic like that inspires you to, I don't know, to, to greatness. Yeah. However, Are you finding that during the podcast with people, with, mm. with like specifically people passing away in terms of grief? Uh, I suppose we, trauma like Tina or Cher went through with with husbands mm, yeah. that's what I was thinking yeah and, yeah. and Dolly Parton as well with her yes. manager yeah, yeah exactly yeah exactly um but yeah paternal the loss of a father figure I think to make you become a a woman of consequence is quite interesting oh I love that a woman mm. of consequence <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's my restoration oh. trend comedy I'm really that's what I'm getting <laughs> tattooed on me a woman of consequence. Yeah. I, I, want, I want Tatty Divine to do with some a set of merch with your statement <laughs> and, and that. Woman and of woman of consequence. A, a full body chain. <laughs> I want to wander around like the fucking mayor of, of, <laughs> of feminism. Uh, so she began her training at Weber Douglas, but in 1940, her mum made the decision to escape the Blitz and move to New York City, where Angela studied classical theatre and lived in Greenwich Village. This is what's so interesting about Angela, because her life and career has been affected by really seismic world events. Yeah, like, oh, the Blitz is happening. Should we go to the States? <laughs> Bam, Angela yeah. lands in training. Yeah. <laughs> The blitz is happening. Let's go to New York. I mean, what a fabulous <laughs> mindset. Exactly. I like to imagine, like, oh, we're darling, should we go to New York? <laughs> let's, yeah. yeah. Let's go to, let, let, fuck this, let's go to Broadway. Yeah. Exactly. really amazing about that. Yeah. Like, how many, t- how, how often do you hear about those experiences during the blitz? Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I mean, when, when, it's ri- when it's written down in a Wikipedia article, it sort of doesn't even really do it justice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of imagined her mum as Eddie Monsoon. Yeah. Oh fuck it, darling. Should we just go? To, just, just go to New York, oh. shall we, Angela? <laughs> Lovely. Amazing. Um, so Angela, or Mama Rose. Or Mama. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, foreshadowing. Oh, oh, very good. Very good. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, so when Angela, she wasn't quite getting the work that she wanted. She wasn't quite getting what she wanted with her career, and she had what she refers to as this kooky voice because she could sing very high and she could do impressions. So, in her own words, she decided to work up an act, which she did in a couple of the clubs in New York, like Number One Fifth, and for a little stint in Canada. And this is—I just absolutely love this when I found this in the research. I was like, "Oh my god, we both did that. We did that with Disney well, Rascal." I, I was, you were reading it, and I was like, "She's you." She, <laughs> <laughs> she can do silly voices. She worked up an act. She's <laughs> you. <laughs> I've never 
never been more proud. I feel so seen. But like <laughs> seen by Lansbury. Well, oh god. <sighs> but it's what we were just talking about in the in the break, isn't it? It's like that desire to 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 make to create something. Was that what made you do Disney Rascal? You were like, I I, I need to put this out there. This has to come from me. I think that the the I was very conscious of my capabilities and what was unique about what I could do yes from from when I was very young as as um, evidenced <laughs> in my nativity story <laughs> um the, great, the greatest story ever told <laughs> indeed the, the first story I never actually <clears throat> asked who you ended up playing you were looked over for Mary but what did you get oh no uh-oh get this oh. I had to play the fucking coconuts Fuck. the donkey <laughs> Oh God! Talk about adding insult to injury. That is absolutely. That's a hate crime. That's diabolical. That happened to you. <laughs> hate crime. You should have called out that teacher. <laughs> Fucking hell! <laughs> it's a funny old thing, the industry that we found ourselves in, because obviously the industry, the industry, you're you're made to believe that it lends itself to creative people. Yeah. But, and it does. But those people are people that are in charge. Yeah. Being being an actor performer, not so much. Yes. Being an actor performer is do does your brand of creativity tie in with the overriding umbrella that I'm in control of? Yes. And yeah. as such, when it I was four years into my career that I went, I don't think that I'm gonna get from this what it is that I am capable of. Mm. And and um, I was at the time. I remember thinking that very clearly. I was I was on a on a, a really wonderful job, which I'm. It's going to sound like I'm ungrateful for, and I'm absolutely not. Incredibly grateful for it in so many ways. It was a Comedy Central sitcom, and there were four lead characters, and I was the only girl in it. Amazing. So I was very conscious of being in a very privileged position. Yeah. And I, but I do remember sitting in my trailer thinking, this is what I've wanted my whole life, and this isn't it yeah like what what I've wanted isn't isn't it because what I thought it would afford me was never the case and actually that was I think that was probably the defining moment where I was like if you want something done yeah you've got to do it yourself and you've got to start putting your money where your mouth is because you're you're having too many conversations where you're you're mouthing off about being underused that's so interesting and I'm and they're bored of hearing it, and so are you now. <laughs> so you've got to just do it. Change, do change it. the dynamic. Yeah, yeah do a Whoopi exactly. Goldberg. And yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And and um and that was the point at which I went right. Fuck this. And I and I went to Second City in Chicago, and that's oh, and that's when I um I went there for a month and um, as a part of a really intense course, <laughs> and um and I I studied I had to write comedy there. Oh my god! And then when I came back, I wrote Disney Rascal and I put it on. Amazing, amazing! How great is Chicago? I, it's lovely, isn't it? It's great, set. Love oh, it's it. the best. Love it's the best. Fucking love I'm it. I'm very, very fond of it. Very fond indeed. Did you end up in that crazy um, bar that they all go to from Second City across over the, the road, road, the pub? Yeah, yeah. I did. Lovely yeah, yeah. With all the mad, the guy times. that owns its drawings on the wall. Yeah, that's right. I did, but actually, you know what? Weirdly, I, I was really. I was really, really driven and really focused at that point. So, in fact, I really, really utilised that time, and I really got my head down. And it's taught me. And this, I think, this time as well. This, this time of, this time of coronavirus has taught me is that actually, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at getting my head down. 
Mm. It's all the other shit that gets in the way that I allow myself to go, oh, I'm a bit busy to write that thing that I've always wanted to write because I have to go and do (laughs) X, Y, and Z. Or as well, it's really thrown up what we just to tie it back in with me sitting in my trailer thinking this isn't enough. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, despite knowing full well that that happened, I'll still be going through my day creating, creating, creating. I'll get an audition for something that on paper is really great and I'll drop everything, go for it. Yes, yeah. And and then I'll feel bereft when I don't get it, which, by the way, is most of the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, 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 I'll, and so, and, and, and so I I'm, I'm sometimes find myself caught in this constant cycle of, of wanting to get something, not getting it, feeling upset, when knowing full well that actually that's not what affords me the most self-satisfaction anyway, you know? Yeah. And I think that happens a lot in our industry. Oh, it do. definitely does. Yeah, exactly. I, I have had a really similar experience, actually, of just going... Um, I'm not getting these things and then it's only till only till about till my I mean I haven't had a, an acting job for fucking years now and it's only since then going oh I don't fit into those things because those things I shouldn't have to try and warp myself into a cookie cutter mold of what might be my casting mm-hmm. I am beyond my casting absolutely I am more than how you perceive me yeah. and that has a lot and I think as well the will we're all dismantling stuff, aren't we? I mean, it's big stuff. <laughs> yeah. But like, like it, it, it says a lot about what we are conditioned to believe success is. Yes. Yeah. And we're conditioned to believe that success is what people can see and attach to you when you walk into a room. But actually, it's about you honouring who you are and how you feel. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Success yeah. is Karen Walker. Success is Karen Walker. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, and Karen Walker. Of course. What's that? I just yeah it, it's having a bit of it's having a bit of pluck isn't it having a bit of gumption yeah and like we I love that we did that and so did Angela Lansbury and notice how many times you hear those stories they're always that breaking off that cookie cutter mold like whenever you hear that they're always those success stories when Hollywood or Broadway or whoever or the West End or whoever it is looked they always go oh oh you're really good at that which you showed us like yeah. the Whoopi Goldberg obviously yeah, yeah, is that yeah. thing when you go yeah you know, that's wh- what I was thinking of when you were talking yeah. she kept yeah. she got brought over to Steven Spielberg's office right and she had to do a one woman show for Spielberg on his own in his office insane and that's why he cast her in the colour purple because it was just like he, and, her, he and by the way her, sh- her show was a comedy impression show yeah no oh, really? was, was it impressions it? yeah it was oh, it was really? a one woman show in which she did impressions because she did Michael Jackson who turned up <gasps> stop it oh my god <laughs> yeah Hers was a comedy impression show, and Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg went to see it and cast her in the colour purple. Yeah. I mean, which I think tells you everything you need to know about when you're true to yourself. People see the potential in you, regardless of genre, yeah, of anything. Exactly. Would Spielberg have even considered her, or would anyone? Would yeah. the industry have considered her someone that was worthy of doing that part until he'd seen her do what she wanted to do? Yes, I absolutely. Just... And fair fucks as well to Steven Spielberg as an artist. Yeah, for yeah. seeing talent and not genre. Yes, absolutely, yeah, exactly. All too rare. All too fucking Fair rare. play to him. Fair play to him. By all accounts, he seems like one of the good ones, You're fine, actually. Steve. You, Steve you're seems like a decent one. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so while Andrew's anyway. doing the act in Canada, her mum had moved out to LA where she had a few not contacts. Not told her. Very, very Eddie Monsoon. <laughs> she's not told her that she moved to LA? <laughs> I don't know. I'm oh, L- sorry. I'm in LA. See you later. <laughs> where are you? Darling, darling, where are you? Are you in, you're in Canada, right? You're in Canada. You're in Canada. Uh, I'm in LA, darling. I've got some contacts here. Uh, so Angie came up to join her and managed to get a screen test for which she dusted off the famous 
act. She got the act out. She got the act out. And with a little coaching from her mum, she landed not one, but two film roles from that first audition. Uh, the first was in Gaslight in 1944, and as Sybil Vane in the picture of Dorian Gray, which was released in 45. So... The term gaslighting gets its name from the film and the novel of the same name, in which a young woman is driven mad by her husband's coercive machinations. And I mean, I hello, <laughs> hello, hello, gorgeous, <laughs> hello, gorgeous. Isn't that like? I mean, we, it's obviously it's a term that's becoming much more widely, widely known and discussed. And you spoke about it in the House of Commons, for God's sake. But like, how how serendipitous that it was Angela Lansbury's first film was Gaslight gotten that when i suggested it to you as well yeah i just yeah her first film her first fucking role and it's it's it, yeah, it's a movement <laughs> in, in, in its own way she loved that as well like she just went straight in yeah fuck with it. gaslight yeah she didn't have to like she didn't spend years flapping around in like some short short skirts in the back of like someone else's number yeah do you know what i mean yeah even though obviously flapping around in skirts and diamonds is what she's most yeah. most you know revered for <laughs> Yeah, just come straight in with it with, with an iconic performance in in something that's really important. Oh. As well. Yeah, like it goes to show as well, though, doesn't it? How long that's taken? Yeah, for right. That to get, for that to enter consciousness, my God, so long. Yeah, what a, and yeah, it's what makes a movement a movement, isn't it? When someone goes, oh, that thing. On. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have we, that one. We've got a name for it. Uh, Gaslight exactly, received but... mixed reviews, though. Did get mixed reviews. Sorry, what are you going to say? No, 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 no. I was sure. about, I was, uh, do you know what? I was literally about to say something along those lines. It's not very good. No, yeah. It's not that great. He's a great writer, though. Have you read, read any uh, Patrick? Oh, Patrick Hamilton, Hamilton. yeah. Only um, only the play. Oh. Uh, I mean, oh, read I've Hangover read Square. Hangover Square is oh. phenomenal. It's one of the best books I've ever read by, by oh, really? a large margin, actually. And he wrote Rope books. as well, didn't he? He wrote the play Rope, which was then adapted into a film by Hitchcock, which is also very, very good. Mm. Gaslight received mixed reviews, but it won Angela her first Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actress, darling. Uh, this was followed by a small role in National Velvet and a spasm in the diva sphere with Elizabeth Taylor and Angela meeting on that film and becoming lifelong pals. She then received another Best Supporting Oscar nom and a Golden Globe for Dorian Gray. I mean, all that from one screen test doing the act. Did like... the act, one screen test, two films, Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> How marvellous. Incredible. Incredible. And you know what as well? If there's any part of her that walked into that room going, which is what I think we, we get told all the time, especially because of how saturated like the industry, especially the comedy industry is now. Like, if there was any part of her that walked into that screen test room that went, oh, I only do comedy. Yeah. Or yeah, I, I only do silly voices. voices. Yeah. 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 I don't know why I'm here. Yeah. I don't, know, don't really know what I'm doing in this place. Yeah. Then it wouldn't have happened. Exactly. Love it. Ugh. I love it. And I love that her and Elizabeth Taylor are friends. Oh, oh my God. God. Isn't that, isn't that like, absolutely amazing? <laughs> Imagine just wandering into fucking Park Lane Hotel or, or something and seeing the pair of them like Ugh. propping the bar up. Do you know what? In years to come, they'll speak about uh, the Vault Festival 2017 in these hallowed terms. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine walking in through, seeing through the gloom, Rebecca Humphreys and Holly Morgan having a gin. Both, both absolutely sweating their tits off after being on stage in that space. <laughs> the world's hottest tunnel. <laughs> Little did we know that they were on the superstone of coronavirus. <laughs> But my God, they were having a nice time. Patient zero and 0.1. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
So at 19, Angela is financially supporting her mum and the twin brothers who came out from Regent's Park to Hollywood as well. And as said of this, advanced maturity was the one good thing that came out of her father's death. And she grew up fast because she had to, basically. So she now she's making bank and she's an acclaimed actress at 19. <laughs> Which is in 1945, and then she married artist-turned-actor Richard Cromwell, who was 15 years older than her. Uh, the marriage lasted less than a year. Who'd you say <laughs> she was good mates with? Liz Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> but this is desperately sad, right? So Lansbury, she came home one day to discover a note from Richard reading, I'm sorry, I can't go on. And she was utterly devastated. He'd gone. Puts Carrie getting naffed off about Burger's uh, post-it into perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> whoa yeah Yeah, it certainly it most certainly does imagine like oh my god imagine that your husband it's the equivalent of getting a text right yeah exactly i'm sorry i can't go on and i've left i mean poor and she's 19 she's tight she's a baby but she thinks that's her life now yeah she's like well exactly especially what 1945 oh i've got married good that's um that's me for the rest (laughs) of my life yeah i've Uh, done the thing that women are meant to do well done me yeah exactly i've got wars over yeah exactly escape the blitz uh got married awesome uh but what she didn't realize (laughs) and had to have explained by her publicist was that richard was gay and she didn't know and yes so that was the only this publicist had to explain to her why he's gone because she just didn't know who'd you say she was mates with Liza Minnelli (laughs) (laughs) I mean these are some big diva themes aren't they like tragedy my jaw just hit the floor can you even can you actually even (laughs) I am gagging Uh, yeah fully gagged um like marital difficulties and married a homosexual man these are like uh, and but but what is really beautiful oh my god I might cry she said of Richard that he showed me a world full of colours I'd never seen. And they remained friends until his death in 1960. Oh, Christ. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that is so beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, that she, is so oh, like, freaking beautiful. I can't again, bear it. actually, another diva theme, forgiveness. Like, going, yeah. you know, it wasn't his fault. He he didn't, he couldn't tell her. Um, and they had this beautiful friendship. Oh my god, that that compassion, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. That that being able to be a nineteen year old girl on the other side of the world to where you're where you were born, have had a very public breakup, uh, well, abandonment, and then to go, Oh, I understand and I empathise. Too much. Especially, you know, in, during during a time, I suppose I suppose that it was like you know, she she grew up to all intents and purposes in New York and yeah. and LA where things were different, but like, you know, homosexuality is was just it was illegal not yeah. the, not the same thing it was illegal there was so much prejudice there was so much um propaganda yeah. like to understand the notion of what love is when you're that young at that time yeah like jesus yeah yeah Ugh. uh she said that the heartbreak over richard uh leaving actually only made her stronger and the year after she met the love of her life Peter Pullen Shaw, a devastatingly handsome ex-army officer and aspiring actor who later shelved his acting ambitions to become one of the top agents in Hollywood and managed Angela's career for decades. Another spasm of the diva-verse. Peter was just out of a relationship with Joan Crawford. Can you even? Get <laughs> out! It's like Angela Lansbury is the hub She is the Kevin Bacon divas. of divas. She's the Kevin Bacon of divas. 
no wonder he um no wonder he clung on to angela what a relief yeah exactly he must have been like fucking hell bloody hell yeah <laughs> what are your oh, this, oh this is what they're, they're, they're like they're really like yeah, oh my god exactly. also she would have been he would have been like oh this is so good to be with you Angela. you're so lovely she's like yeah I've, my friend liz is coming around for dinner tonight <laughs> yeah. you you're gonna love her <laughs> holy hell oh my god absolutely iconic work. I had no idea no isn't it amazing <laughs> all of these little like the zen if you did like a I don't know like a murder board of Angela Lansbury all lines lead back to her yeah oh, <laughs> she is you're right she's the Kevin Bacon of yeah. or the Heisenberg yeah, yeah. oh but- <laughs> So true. But Peter Pullenshaw sounds like the most amazing, like adorable man. He'd had, he gave up his dream basically because he realised that he um, it was more important to support her and became a manager. <gasps> oh my God. <laughs> Angela proposed to Peter. And there's proved to be cool. one of the most famously secure Hollywood marriages of all time. They were married for 54 years. Can you even? Such a long time. Such a long time. Go on, Angela. Come on, Ange. Yeah, like pick yourself up, dust yourself off. Propose to the guy you love. Make him give up his hopes and dreams to manage you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. And still want to Joan Crawford in the process. (laughs) Exactly. It goes, it goes to, and I'm sure that we'll reference this at some point, because how can you not, um, Angela's tips on self-care, oh, where oh she's, you know, I think she must be in her late 50s at that time, but who can tell, because she hasn't looked that way since she was about <laughs> since she was born. 26, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, she, um, but she's talking about, like, fem- feminine energy and feminine sexuality and about, like, how it only ends when you want it to yes. and about like she's just so strong but also so like so unbelievably feminine and sense and soft and sensitive and I just thought about that but like her 54 year marriage I was like yeah I bet he was getting it right to me <laughs> yeah I bet he was <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, a few surprises oh. oh well she moisturizes <laughs> her whole body she does. every day <laughs> Yeah, lovely sort of, there's a lovely talc in the air. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. Mm. Freshly powdered. <laughs> After Joan Crawford as well. It must have been like, oh, Are you an spicy. angel? <laughs> <laughs> he was with her for 54 years because he thought he was in a dream. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, MGM put Angela under contract, which is $500 a week. And she featured in 11 features in which she was consistently miscast as characters who were older than she was. I mean, I hard relate to that, to waiting to grow into <laughs> your... <my> life. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> like, we're going to get into some of the, the age that she's... Honest, <laughs> we'll get into it in a second, but it's like she's playing her contemporaries' mums from about like, 1945. Oh, cool. <laughs> joking. <laughs> I was, I was, I think I, at some point throughout my three years of drama training, I must have played every single bloke in my year's mother. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, I must really, really exude some sexy energy. <laughs> sexy mum. <laughs> I had the same thing. I wonder what it is like if you were confident, they were like old. <laughs> Brassy. Yeah, only older women are this confident. <laughs> You must be older than you exactly. look. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'm 20. Why am I playing a crone? 
So, feeling mugged off by MGM, not knowing what to do with her, she terminated the contract in 52. Following the birth of her son, Peter, she went on tour with a couple of plays that had completed Broadway runs, and this is widely seen as a lull in her career. I mean, I'll take a tour. (laughs) Yeah, this is a lull. (laughs) She's like, went off and did some amazing classical theatre. No, babe, this is a lull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had a job for five years and I'm stuck in the house with coronavirus. (laughs) Yeah, that's a lull. That's a fucking lull. So her daughter Deirdre, is it Deirdre? How do you say Deirdre? No, Deirdre. Deirdre is from Corrie. Deirdre. (laughs) Deirdre McDonald. Angela Lansbury's daughter. Her daughter Deirdre was born in 53 and the family also gained the custody of Peter's other son David from a first marriage. So she's got three kids to feed and she just jobbed about basically. And in 1957, she gained the legitimacy she'd craved since uh, training in classical theatre and made her Broadway debut in Hotel Paradiso, which closed early but got good reviews. And she followed this up with A Taste of Honey, in which she played Joan Plowright's mum, and she was four years older than Joan. <laughs> livid. Absolutely fucking livid. Livid. Four years. So good. Hopping mad. I, I do think playing, I have to say something since we spoke about this a minute ago, which yeah. is that I do think playing a mum is a mood. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah. There's something that to go. Actually, I'm not interested really in representing the people who don't know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I've got I've got a real scene it all before air about me, yes. and I'm okay with it. <laughs> Do you know what? I just thought about Catherine O'Hara playing the mum in 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 uh, Home Alone. Great. Oh, Home Alone. Yeah. Oh god. Oh she yeah. Been so young. She must have been really young. I mean, old enough obviously to have a child. I think Kevin's I always age. see her as forty. Yes, exactly. But fine. Define yourself by be, being the one who's got their shit together. Why not? I mean, she did leave her child and <laughs> to be to fend for himself with some dangerous well, criminals. Like, there's, yeah, that's true. There's a real, there's a real sort of legacy of um, maybe. Oh God, now now I think about it, I'm really, I'm really investigating this at the moment. <laughs> but there's a real, um, I have a real, a real affinity to people consistently cast as mothers. Yeah. Angela Lansbury, Catherine O'Hara, Sally Field. Oh my God! Oh, yeah. Like yeah. just women whose like job is decades like mum of the decade you know <laughs> yeah exactly the nation's mum there must be some advantage to it as well because i guess like anything that was made i don't know before 20 years ago probably older female parts are probably generally better female parts i would imagine i mean yes. i'm not saying they were, they were good but like yeah particularly nuanced but probably more so than younger like but, if you're 20 yeah. years old i imagine a lot of parts for 20 year old women around the time that Lansbury was getting parts were probably not very good. Well, you're playing juve lead and that, that in, in that is is implied juvenile, right? Yeah. Like not... Yeah. Not as much to say yeah. to yourself. Not, you're, not, you're, not the, you're not the mentor and as such you don't hold the key to like what the character stands to learn, you know? Exactly, yeah. Mm. Yeah, you're, you're the accessory rather than the protagonist, aren't you? Um, but I, I think maybe at 30 I'd still have a bit of toed if I was playing Joan Plowright's mum. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm with you. It is a mood and let's, re- and let's claim it. Let's have it. Let's just have it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, let's, just, let's just take it. I would, I would much rather play Arcadina in the Seagull than I'd play Nina. Oh, Thank oh you. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Fuck Better costumes. Nina. Like, <laughs> the whole thing is... Yeah. the whole thing's win-win yeah and really everyone wants to do you I'm, I'm sure yeah. that happens to Nina as well doesn't it but like really yeah but like yeah 
I think if I met a man and he said that he'd always quite fancied Nina and the Seagull, I think he was a perv. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, Chikora could go fuck himself. Or weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How old is she in 62 when she was she born 25? 37. 37. Oh, fuck me. Gosh, she hasn't even like got into the big musical theatre stuff. No. It's a full life. It's a full career. She's had a life. Uh, in 1962, she filmed the Mancurian. Is it Mancurian or Mancurian? Mancurian, I think, isn't it? Mancurian Candidate? I've never seen it. Mancurian. Yeah. Mancurian Candidate. Yeah, I've not seen it either. Uh, in which she plays Lawrence Harvey's mother. <laughs> <laughs> she was three years older than Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> Livid! <laughs> she received a third supporting actress nom for the role, though. Where's the win? Where's the win? Livid! <laughs> Absolutely furious. All in good time. All in good time. So, age 38, she receives a letter out of the blue from Arthur Lawrence, who is the venerable playwright and director, uh, asking her to be in a show he was collaborating on with... Stephen Sondheim, uh, with whom he had previously collaborated on Gypsy. So the show was called Anyone Can Whistle. She thought the score was totally bonkers, as was the role of mayoress Cora Hoover Hooper. Uh, but she was well up for playing a total fruitcake. Um, do you know Anyone Can Whistle? <laughs> no, not at all. No, me neither. I know I the song a bit, but like, yeah, it wasn't yeah. a hit. <laughs> It wasn't very good. But no, it wasn't a bit. smash. It wasn't a smash, no. Um, but one of her main concerns was that she wasn't going to be able to sing loud enough. Um, because they... <laughs> Can you even... Angela would be like, I don't know if they'll be able to hear me. Because they weren't using personal mics. They were still just using floor mics at that time. And and since since the act, she hasn't really sung. She's been, a, a, you know, a quote-unquote serious actress. Doing a little bit of, like, singing. I think she sings in uh, Dorian Gray a bit. But people don't know her for her singing voice, which is mad. That's amazing. The idea that Angela Lansbury is concerned that people won't be able to hear her voice because it won't be loud enough <laughs> is like Liza Minnelli being worried that she can't do sassy kicks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thumbs up. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I have never worried about being too quiet in, in my life. <laughs> no, no, I. <laughs> Uh, the show had a very short, very critically panned run, uh, nine performances, and was a massive, nine. massive sing, <laughs> only supported by foot mics. Angela didn't sing again for six months. So she like she basically like did a voice in. In nine performances. <laughs> oh, God. Fucking hell. <laughs> oh, my God. It's almost a month per performance. Yeah, insane, insane. I think that's shorter than the run... No, Carrie the Musical was six performances, I think. I guess as well, like, it's such a funny thing to read on paper, nine performances. Yeah. But every single production has exactly the same amount of work put into it. Oh, my God, yeah, that's such a good like, point. Like, the idea, yeah. the idea. Which can do it then time. it just went, we're closing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Stephen Sondheim oh. and Arthur Lawrence have written the book and the score, and they still... They couldn't keep it open for 10 performances. Like, it must have been, it must have been absolutely slammed. There must be no one there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, forget reviews. Like, you've got to get bum- bums on seats, keeps it open. But, I mean, it's an odd... Like two people turning up? An odd pitch, isn't it? Like, Angela Lansbury plays a mad mayoress. <laughs> I don't know the story. Um, sorry, that's not, a, that's not a mad pitch. That's absolutely something that I would queue for. <laughs> that's what they call the perfect pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we revive Anyone Can Whistle for Bot Festival 2021? As long as we get Angela. Yeah. 
<laughs> she might be up for it. You never know. If you plans to do Carrie Musical 2. Yes, so. I do have plans to do <laughs> Carrie Musical 2. Uh, but this short run was long enough for her to catch the attention of Broadway legend Jerry Herman, who is in the process of writing a musical adaptation of Auntie Mame, which had been a movie and a theatrical sort of star vehicle. Uh, the role had been turned down by Mary Martin and they eliminated another 40 other actresses before they gave Angela the role as Mame in Mame. 40 fucking actresses. <laughs> and then they go, all right, yeah. let's give Angela a go. Like she's made. Wow, bizarre, isn't it? That's yeah, that's amazing. That's the universe going. Who's meant to do this? Absolutely, exactly. Yeah, yeah. he meant to see one out of nine performances, and yeah, and it's like that woman there. That's the one. That mad Fruit Loop. (laughs) 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 She's my girl. The show opened in 1966 on Broadway, but that is where we shall leave it for today. Episode Oon, excellent. Lovely stuff. Right. So there we are. a part one of Angela Lansbury. Please tune in in uh, two weeks' time. So we will have a little diva energy in the meantime. Got any plugs, my love? Plugs and hugs? Plugs and Me? Hugs. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not busy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I, I guess that, well, I, I guess what I would say is um, I think my episode of Friday Night Dinner is still available. Yeah. On. Uh, is it called All Four now? Oh my god, I'm not prepared for this, am I? Oh god, <gasps> what is it called? I think it's, it's, it's called All Four. Four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all gone up on there, isn't it? Yeah. So my, my episode of Friday Night Dinner is still available on All Four. It's the last episode of the series, and Trigonometry is still available on iPlayer. It is as yes. well. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big D Energy. If you did, and you want to reach out and have a chat, share your BDE stories with us, maybe even your own and related stories, or just tell us which diva means the most to you, you can tweet us at Diva Energy or email us at BigDivaEnergyPod at gmail.com. This podcast is a Dark Matters production. If you thought we were just little Disney rascals, then don't forget to like and subscribe. Alternatively, if you think we're just three crazy bitches gaslighting the shit out of you, you can get Get in in the the sea. sea! Bye! Bye!